the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Guests geek out on television, so much to see. We still peak TV kills us all. Current, retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of PopOptic.com, and I'm joined this week by one of my favorite guest co-hosts, because of course you're a former co-host, drop the guest, and it's very fitting that you're here this week, Mr. Sean Coletti of PopOptic and the Midseason Replacements and many other things, because this is the last Televerse with a guest co-host. That's right, gentle listeners, next week. I'll be unveiling the new co-host of the podcast, and I'm very excited. I, I think it's so fitting. Uh, of course, Sean, you could not come back as co-host because you have your own podcast that you're doing, and you're off in the UK being learned. Uh, so I think it's very fitting that you're here to, to pass the baton. Especially talking about a show that we've been meaning to talk about for quite a while. Oh, yeah. This has been on the list for such a long time, uh, and it's, it's very overdue, and I'm very glad we're talking about it. And what is that show, Sean? It is... Cult. cult. CW's cult. It's yeah. a modern classic. Uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> a uh, not at all a show that won the Ringer Award uh, for a show I should have given up on a couple years back. What is that show that we're we're so excited to talk about, Sean? Uh, it is, of course, Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think the only time I've ever used the card, like, "Kate, I really need you to sit down and watch something, please," um, was when I asked you to watch Korra. And yeah. we knew following that that we were going to have to talk about the the first series. So that's what we're going to do. Absolutely. Looking forward to it so much. Uh, I've been pondering the smorgasbordy and all the top uh, like top tens end of the year stuff that will be going on in the next few weeks here at the, at the Televerse. But that's going to be the next few weeks. There's other change on the horizon as well, though, because the Televerse will be leaving Pop Optic. It's been a good home for us. And, of course, the sound on site before. But... Where I will be launching the televerse.org, going to my own domain and all of that. So it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but if you guys go over to that right now, you'll be able to see just the the podcast feed there and, and everything. Um, please do check your feeds, make sure that they are working. <laughs> we are doing a redirect, so hopefully all the technical difficulties will not be a problem. But but no, so there there is a lot of change on the horizon, but hopefully it will be very exciting and a lot of fun. That that's what I've been furiously typing. For the past few weeks, what have you been doing, Sean? What's what's new with you? Are you watching a lot of English TV now? Because you're over. Are you in England? Are you in Britain? Where are you? Like, what part of the the island are you in? I'm in Birmingham, which is kind of directly in the center of the the country. And geographically, um, yeah, I have not been watching more English TV than I was originally. Uh, it's actually just been an incredibly busy year for me. Obviously, the move and other stuff as well. So I fell behind terribly on television shame for, i know right so i've actually been spending the last four weeks uh just glued to the screen and i'm gonna need glasses pretty soon because i've been trying to catch up on so many things which has been a lot of fun i i've had experiences binging things that obviously i would have had to have seen week to week earlier in the year um and it's a whole different dynamic so it's it's been good although really busy in its own way i mean you know better than anybody how difficult it actually is to sit down and watch just a lot of television back to back. Yeah, some some shows make it easy for you, but after a while, it it can be a bit of a challenge. What's been your like highlight or discovery or show that you're mo- you have been most excited to catch up on? Um, I mean, one of them we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, the one I was happiest 
to go back and watch that I missed earlier in the year was the last season of Justified, which I was so completely blown away by that. Like, I I started it on a whim, um, like at 10 o'clock at night, one night. I was just like, eh, I gotta catch up on something. And I had done a couple other things, and I thought, oh, no, I'll watch a couple episodes of Justified. I stayed up until 8 in the morning finishing it. I didn't go to sleep. Wow. That's intense. It's a strong, especially getting to binge those last few episodes. I'm, I'm guessing those last like two, three episodes just work really nicely when you can watch them back to back. Yeah, the whole thing I thought was such a great cohesive unit, and the ending was so justified and so beautiful. So that's absolutely going to be very near the top of my year end list. Very exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to to hearing from from you, Sean, and from everybody with their end of year picks. But uh, but before we we're not there yet. It's not quite the end of the year. There's a few new shows starting up. I mean, like Netflix. We have um, there's two new shows starting this Friday, dropping this Friday on Netflix because of course, um, including former guest of the podcast Michael Price, uh, the show that he's got with Bill Burr, um, F is for Family, which is an animated show on netflix um is is coming out this friday and there's there's a lot there's a lot more still coming the expanse on sci-fi but yeah yeah trying to it's a slight lull now it's we don't have quite the insane insanity as far as weekly shows because a lot of shows have like wrapped up we've got some finales here this week mid-season finales and a couple pilots but but a lot more finales and pilots so it's nice to take advantage of that slight pause to kind of take stock and also maybe catch up on, on a few things. I still haven't seen Orange's New Black Season 3. No, me either. We're yep. Yep, we're in the corner of shame now. We're, we're just terrible, terrible podcasters. But we're going to soldier on nonetheless. So, so why don't we take a break and uh, come back with our week in TV. What say you, Sean? Let's do it. Look at this face. I know the years are showing. Look at this life I still don't know where it's going I don't know much But I know I love you And that may be all I need to know Look at these eyes seen what matter look at these dreams so beaten and so better I don't know much but I know was the karaoke sequence from this week's You're the Worst finale, and that leads us into our week in comedy and reality. So I'm going to kick things off with a little Amazing Race talk, because of course they had their finale. We got a chance, baby. And then the Nathan For You finale, I'll talk a little bit about as well before we talk about the pilots for Telenovela and Superstore. A little late on those, but better late than never. And then we'll we'll really dive in with the finale for You're the Worst. The heart is a dum-dum and uh, a lengthy segment on Transparent Season 2. But let's kick things off first with a little of the Amazing Race talk. I, I know others have been more enamored of this season than I have been. It's really been dominated by one team and then just a couple of other teams who are, are like also Rans. Um, so it was satisfying the way that things pulled together. They did manage to pull quite a bit of drama out of the last couple episodes, but I think so much of the enjoyment of the season comes down to whether you're on board with the green team um, and whether you find their confidence endearing 
or frustrating or hopefully a little bit of both. So you can kind of go back and forth and they can, with the editing and everything, they can bring you to the, to a rise and then get you invested in the tension and then, then dissipate it as needed. But, um, so I've, I've been a much more passive viewer of this season, even though there's been mostly some interesting, um, there's been mostly good challenges and interesting locations. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe the best thing about this is the, that the team green team didn't win. So now they can come back in the future season, which I am positive will happen. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm just nowhere near as invested in the amazing race as I, as I once was. And, um, I'm disappointed they're doing another gimmick with this upcoming season of everybody's a YouTube celebrity. Um, but I guess I'm glad that the show can still exist and those gimmicks seem to be keeping it alive. So, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. How do you feel about a reality show gimmick, Sean? Uh, I wish I had more knowledge of like reality show tropes in general. I've only ever like followed a few and most of those have been singing, but I, I guess that's what gets viewers coming back and comfortable. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I've never like critically assessed a reality show in the same way that we do scripted stuff. Yeah. Anyways, it was a, a mostly a fun season of the amazing race, even if I'm not as, uh, if it's not as essential viewing for me as it once was, um, also essential viewing for me this season has been Nathan for you, which had its finale. And like this episode was crazy though. The commitment in this episode. So what happened? Okay. Have you seen any Nathan for you, Sean? Yeah, I've seen a handful of episodes. Okay, so what he does in this finale is he finds a guy who's like kind of like stuck in a rut and not really not really moving forward anywhere and he gets him to agree to like a medical exam which then they like map his face and everything and like he's going to prove that anyone can be a winner by taking over this guy's life and getting him a girlfriend and and making him a hero. So like he tent sends the guy off to a trailer in the middle of the desert for two weeks while he, uh, does a stunt of wire walking to raise charity for, uh, breast cancer research, I think. Uh, and, and also goes on a blind date and gets a woman's spoken verbal agree uh, approval to kiss her <laughs> at the end of the wire walk. And so he walks up and down this wire to a cheering, adoring crowd because there's a bunch, a, bunch of, a bunch of press while wearing a mask of this guy's face. And, uh, like, you know, he's been, like, uh, changing his voice and stuff to, to match this guy. And then he walks off into a tent and the other guy walks out, not really understanding what's happened, and then gives a speech. Like, it's, it's insane what happens in this finale. Uh I don't know how to describe it. It was just sort of, and I wasn't really laughing or it was just sort of like a, it it feels like a piece of performance art more than anything to me. Uh, But it was fascinating. And um, yeah, yeah. I I wish more people watched this show so I could talk about it with them. I know very few people like in, in realsies that actually have like even, have even heard of it, let alone watched it. But I mean, like, what do you think of that premise? It's ridiculous. And like I've had the same reaction to the episodes that I've seen, or at least some of them, where it's not necessarily like laugh out loud funny. Uh, it's it's shocking. Like you're kind of just in awe of what's happening. And uh, this is one that I've really been meaning to go back and, and watch every episode on because 
you're right. Not a lot of people have seen it, but this is one of those things where the people who have seen it are very vocal about how like must watch it has become. And I can definitely see how that would be the case. And it's things like this um, premises that, that are really out there. I think that make it so extraordinary. Yeah. It's just, and the way the whole thing is crafted and edited and put together as well, like the narrative that he's telling with this and yeah, it's it's like it's dark and it's um it's cynical, but it's also really lighthearted at times. It's like it's all of this complicated stuff, and it's really it's man. I need to watch it again, basically, and, and really kind of parse what I think he's saying with it because I'm just sort of seeing what happened the first time through. But uh, yeah, crazy finale for for Nathan for you. Let's talk about some pilots though, because I, I need to stop talking. For a little bit, so I'm going to throw it to you. What did you think of? We watched the pilot for Ten the Novella and for Superstore, which have both launched in the last couple of weeks. Uh, had you heard of either of these shows before this? And then, what did you think of Ten the Novella? I had not heard of either of these. I knew I saw that NBC was going to kind of preview some mid-season shows ahead of time. Uh, these are both bad, both in their own ways, and I think Telenovela is like unredeemably bad. And it's very rare that I have this reaction to something because, like, at the end of the day, I have to respect that a creative team has tried to accomplish something that a lot of people put in effort into a product. But, like, this is this is very bad and nobody kind of should have signed up to do this. Like, there's, there's nothing about... It's not, like, offensive, like, in the same way that other series are, whether that's you know, sociopolitically or, or anything else, but it's just really, let's put this into a sitcom whatever machine, and it just spits out this thing, which I could have written a much better pilot than this. And what's sad is that, like, Ava Longoria as the lead, she's committing to it fully. She's giving it her all. She is right there. Like, she's... Like when they uh, cut to like her and she's like screaming or whatever and sobbing, like she is committing to this character and to the extremes of what they're trying to go for tonally. It just doesn't work. There's nothing about. There's no character that we can really invest in. the The reality is heightened, which in and of itself isn't a problem. Um, but it's not like funny in its reality, I guess. Yeah, I was not laughing. Uh, I don't think I laughed once. I might have chuckled once, but I can't remember at what. So clearly it wasn't that memorable. Um, I mean, I think Zachary Levi shows up and he's he's charming and funny. And it's especially when you get to contrast it to what he was doing on Heroes. Uh, for those of you who, yes, Heroes was a thing that happened this year. And it will happen for three weeks next year to put it in contention for that end of year as well. But um, yeah. This, I mean, I want to like this show because because of the some of the people involved and because again the you know like like Longoria bless her is really trying and really committing to it and I think she can be very funny. Um, she can you know she's good with the pratfall, good with uh, some of this other stuff, but yeah, it just doesn't work. It's just every time I watch this, I'm like, why am I not watching Rogelio on his on his show? Because that would be infinitely better. Yeah, it's yeah. like I said, I think it's unredeemably bad. I'll, I'll eat my shoe if this gets a second season. Or more viewers, frankly. But uh, <laughs> what about the other new show that we checked out, Superstore? Was this better or pretty much on par? Uh, this was also bad, but the problem with this is fixable, more fixable, in that it 
it was just trying way too many things in the pilot. Um, too many moods, too many tones. And again, heightened reality. This works a little bit better. I think that the the idea of the supermarket is um, worth a sitcom because there are enough interactions between a main cast of employees and um, you know guest characters who can just be customers or anything like that. That that there's something there potentially, and it wasn't executed well. Again, good performers. Um, I like. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to be the two leads. Is Ferrara and Feldman are they supposed to be like top build? Yeah. So I mean, both both of them yeah. I like, and yeah. the supporting cast is strong, but it it was way too loud. I thought. It's just not funny enough. And again, I think there's also an issue of tone, too, where it's I can't tell if they know what tone they're going for because they've got the all these side characters that are car- car- caricatures. They're just cartoons, basically. But then the show isn't matching that zany point of view. And so and, and it's so much more grounded with the Ferrara character. So then is the show supposed to be matching her? But then why if it is, then why do you have all these like somebody shooting a gun in the air and, and like these other things that are happening. Like, do they want it to be sort of realistic and kind of quirky and, you know, an interesting cast of characters, but more relatable, uh, especially c- combining with that central, like the, the Amy uh, point of view and her, her perspective on everything, or do they want it to be wacky over the tops more like something like scrubs uh, and not knowing that that's you know not having that a sense of that is not a good thing that's what a pilot's supposed to do it's supposed to tell you that yeah and then the whole uh the the stars on the ceiling like that's that's a a thing that sitcoms can do really well but it's not earned here and again is that the style that it's going for and we're not really sure yet yeah and it felt very much like they had that uh idea and they tried to like work to it and they didn't, they did not get there because, uh, and this is something that, that, uh, you know, friends of the show, David Bax and Paul Goble over, Goble over at Hey Watch This with Paul and David, um, they talked about this on their podcast when they reviewed this, uh, that there's just too many stars. It's like, that's impossible. He couldn't have, that's not possible. So in, instead of reacting with, oh, it's so cool, I react with, okay, but that's ridiculous that can't have been done so i'm I'm detaching from it rather than investing in it if it was like a room like if he had done that in like the stock room or something then i could have maybe you know i, I guess at actually a place like that the stock room might be even bigger but you know what i mean like an office or something like some enclosed space i could have you know gotten on board with it but when it's the whole store like that I, the, what's supposed to be this touching moment just doesn't work for me. Mostly, I want to see America Ferrera in another show. And even a show like this could work, but this, I don't know. I, I do agree it's fixable, but I, I think I'm less hopeful on it than maybe you are. Yeah, bad NBC pilots are bad. Bad NBC pilots are bad, but you know what's not bad? You're the worst. And I'm excited that we're going to get to talk about their finale. The heart is a dum-dum. However, I gotta say, this, this finale, I liked the finale, but it felt for me too disconnected from the entire season leading up to it, it felt feel, felt very much like she uh, Gretchen got over her depression because it was the finale, and they they wanted to not necessarily have to start with this stuff in a season three if they get one, which they did. So, um, I I had a little trouble marrying this finale to the rest of the season. How did you feel about it? I one hundred percent agree with that, and I thought that this season has been very good and. 
the problem, I guess, with wrapping it up so quickly, the transition back into normalcy, not total normalcy, because you can see a lingering effect here and there, but it it was just like an insurmountable task to try to pull off, and it ends up being a little bit unbelievable, and we want like another episode or two to kind of ease back into it. So that that would be the only thing that kind of puts a damper on the finale, which is otherwise a really good episode, especially for the other characters. And it's back-to-back episodes that have really, really touching final moments. Yeah, I thought the the ending really did work. Because I, I didn't like the way that the finale was implying that basically he fixed her by committing. Because that's not what happens uh, with depression. At least uh, that's not how I understand it. That someone says, but I love you, and then you're better. Um, so I liked very much that they brought around, they, they instead introduced this conflict of the, the medication and, you know, having that come to a head and then the way that it concludes was really lovely. I'm not so sure about, um, going on the carousel again with, um, uh, with Lindsay. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I like Paul as a character. Um, I just, where... Where else would you take her at this point, I guess, is what I'm wondering. Because there's still probably material there with Paul. I don't know uh, what direction it goes in to feel as good as previous Lindsay material has felt. But it feels kind of comfortable at this point, which is maybe a safe bet. Yeah, I just don't like this. uh, Well, hopefully the awareness she shows in the sidecar when she's looking over at Paul is nice. So maybe that means that we're not going to get her reverting to the same behavior i just and this is not a new idea this is part of why i got so frustrated with Mad Men in the middle of its run i just get very tired of this notion that nobody changes so if you're not going to change then it needs to be really funny or i'm going to get bored and um i i hope that they will have because watching her explore that and and her need for maturity and need to to at least in some ways take responsibility in her life um, was one of the things I really liked about this season. So I'm hoping that that will continue next year, I guess. There's always Edgar who is always fantastic. Yes, that is true. I like I like I like that scene with Edgar and Dorothy um, and Edgar uh, realizing that or her explaining that they didn't actually break up. Um, I thought that was very sweet. I'm glad that she'll be sticking around by all accounts. Um, it's been such a great introduction of the season or this that introducing that character and, and watching Edgar grow as a person through his comedy uh, stand up or his improv group, I think is, is really neat. And uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I really like what they have given Edgar though. I do think he was mostly, I, th- I do think he was underserved this season. So I'm hoping we get more from him next year. I, I keep talking about next year, but I'm not, I'm not really talking about the specifics of this episode. Did you, how'd you feel about Becca and Vernon? Again, two characters that I weirdly like, uh, I mean, him just running around saying what he's done, that was a fantastic scene. It's its not a relationship, I think, that I feel invested in to the point where like, I really care about what happens to them as a couple in the future, but they bounce off other characters in the main cast so well that they're always funny on screen, which I think is kind of fine, even if I don't buy into like that they're having this baby that it's supposed to be a meaningful thing to me yeah they don't always feel like people to me they feel like um 
they feel you know they're the wacky neighbor and and they 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 bring conflict in and they they allow for good scenes with other with other people like you're saying like especially i think vernon having him a little more involved this season um has been nice or at least when he's come in it's been really great uh but yeah they don't feel like freestanding individuals and certainly i don't get any connection between the two of them um so i don't i'm not invested at all i i i know i'm supposed to be upset when uh, Becca's drinking a bunch of booze with her belly out to here. And um, I'm not, the baby's not real to me. So um, I don't care. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm just a little dissatisfied with how the rest of the season has managed some of its characters in that having, um, the, the focus on Gretchen and her depression, which I think is wonderful, and I really love that part of the season. I think it's kind of... And, and what that allowed them to explore with Jimmy, too, sort of left all the other characters disconnected from that. And so I think it's just a more fragmented season than the first season. I think the, the first season had a lot more cohesiveness, and, and I... So I think I was I was missing that, both in this finale, which feels, like I was saying, more separate and less of a culmination, um, and in the season as a whole. I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And again, I, I think I agree. Um, there are probably little things that might excuse that a bit in this episode. I think the way that Gretchen handles her meeting with Nina, which is kind of her own way of expressing jealousy, is good. But again, it's, it's probably not enough. And we could have used a couple more episodes before it felt like, I don't know, like the Jimmy going into that tent should have been the emotional climax of the season, but there should have been, I guess, a longer resolution. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I needed another episode to transition out of that. You know what I mean? I needed, I needed what happened next before they went to the party, but still, this is me quibbling on a show that I do very much enjoy. I'm very glad uh, I got to see this year and we'll get to see next year. So, so maybe I should, uh, try to be a little less, less nitpicky. That's going to be challenging, especially because I'm about to be very nitpicky about Transparent Season 2, um, which I have seen all of and you've seen all of now. So full spoilers for Transparent Season 2, listeners. You have been warned. This is going to be we're gonna be about 15 minutes probably here. Um, so fast forward or skip to the next chapter in the, the M4A or look in the show notes. You have been warned. We're diving in. So uh, what, how do you feel about Transparent Season 2? Um, and, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling you're more on board than I am because I liked it, but it didn't, it didn't move me the way that the first season did. Oh, no. I'm so worried about this discussion now. Um, <laughs> I, I love this so much. Uh, to me, it all comes down to well i guess on the technical level amy landeck was just amazing in this season as a performance like i don't necessarily think that sarah's story was all that interesting but i was completely blown away by that performance to me the the core of this and why i enjoyed it so much enjoy is like not necessarily the optimal word because i was i was crying for a lot of it um was josh and his story and at the end of episode five where he has to say goodbye to his son and then everything well, he doesn't have to up. say goodbye to his son that's what guts you yeah exactly oh man yeah like, that's tough his story really really sucked me in um and 
I, I was devastated. Like there's, that's probably the best way to describe it. Like the transparent is a really difficult series and it's one of those series like Hannibal or rectify, which are among my absolute favorite. And they will be pretty much at the top of my list this year, but they're ones that I would really hesitate recommending to certain people because they are very stylized, um, uniquely. And I don't think the transparent is for everyone. And, um, and I had a hard time getting into it initially as well. But this this season, I thought, did so much to make these unlikable characters seem like a unit that at the end, when it you get the sense that they really support each other, like I I was just so overcome with feelings that I can't help but love this, even if it has some narrative flaws, which I'm sure you're about to point out. No, it's not even that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that, that this touched you and you really moved you so much because I was hoping, uh, wanting to get that. And maybe it's because I watched it more piecemeal than I did the first season, or maybe it's just because it's been an insane month. Uh, there's been a lot going on um, between work and family and and uh, website and podcasts. It's been a, it's been a very hectic Month. So maybe it's just that I couldn't really luxuriate in these episodes the way that I could in the first season. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't. Very, very few moments this season got me on the visceral level that that moment you described with Josh did. Uh, that's one that it was just hard to watch and you're just yelling at your TV. Don't let him go with those people. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I what think. About, what about yeah. Ali? Because the one of the the very weird things, and again one of the difficult things, I think this season has been following the the Berlin plot. But when that kind of came to a climax in the, the episode where they're out at the festival at the end, as as Ali's watching young Rose witness the book burning and and her sister being taken away, like that that was also one of those things where I just broke down automatically. No, see, I, I really liked that part of it, and I thought it was a fascinating thing to do. I love that creativity and that idea. And I also love the way that, for me, what was satisfying about that is the way it comes full circle in the finale when you realize that this has been uh, Mora's uh, mother. And, of course, she would accept her daughter because she loved her sister. And so this is not, you know, this, this assumption that, oh, mother wouldn't understand or couldn't understand or it'll break her heart or anything. And they don't they don't know their mother and her experience at all, um, especially as a young person. So I, I really thought that was very affecting at the end of the season when when it all kind of dovetailed for me. But no, individually, I, I was more invested or interested, but not not as uh, I wasn't as gut punched by by a moment like that as i would have liked to have been for me the the standout moment in the season is josh turning away his son and maybe that's part of it maybe this is just a harder season to to feel that connection to because for me it's harder to connect to the characters when they are all not all when when ally and josh are making such selfish choices um, throughout. So when we watch Josh destroy this lovely thing, he's, this great thing he's got going with Raquel, um, which maybe is the best thing for both of them, but that's, you know, like I'm so on team uh, Raquel. So when 
when he's just being an ass and be like, oh, no, I said I told you I wanted kids. So you've spent these two years with me because you thought that we were going to build a family and everything. But now I don't. Watching that is, while it's very well done, it was harder for me to connect to. And watching Allie break, uh, like, break Carrie Brownstein's heart was hard for me to connect to. Like, so, so I guess maybe that's the difference that I'm having. And, and that's a superficial and a not very critic thing to be, you know? Like, I yeah. know I should like these people or be interested in this show no matter if people make good choices. It's a matter of if they make interesting choices. And, um, mm-hmm. I think that's maybe that's part of my disconnect. Yeah. I, with Josh, it's especially interesting, which is why I, I look at his story as being so important for this season. Is because, um, I mean, there's no way of portraying pretty much all five of these main characters as being totally sympathetic, given the choices that they make. And Josh is especially tricky because I agree about everything that you said regarding the, the miscarriage and how he handles. Um, that relationship and yet the the way that they work in how his parents knew about Colton and then how the the mom's new boyfriend like their their conversation together was so good and Josh's final scene in which they're just there at the bathtub with that tuck and he just cries into his arms like I I can't help but love Josh despite the terrible choices that he makes I guess yeah, that last scene was was very effective. I, lo- I love having the the mom's boyfriend really spell out. No, you lost your father. You you gained Mappa, but you you lost your father. And and, and I also like the way that the season is really explored uh, and dived into and embraced those contradictions. So when we have Mora like be like, oh, I don't remember being like really exclusionary to women when I was in college. <laughs> She's like, yep, of course you don't. Um, more experiences all kinds of uh, struggles as a, as a trans woman and her, uh, you know, the, the, the way she is excluded at the festival is really heartbreaking. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that she, you know, also did these many other things. And we, when we get to, you know, the stuff we get with Judith Light at the beginning of the season, when we have that, that, just kind of messed up relationship with her and Mora and the power dynamics there and how clearly uncomfortable uh, Mora is with that. Um, like I, I thought, I thought these were all really interesting routes to, to go down. I just, again, for whatever reason, I didn't feel as much of that connection. I also would have liked to have seen more of, of Davina and, uh, and the, the circle of, of trans friends that uh, we got to know in or I guess I shouldn't say circle, the handful of of uh, trans women we got to, to meet in season one. We get some of them here, but I would have liked to see even more, I think. Yeah. I, it's weird because initially Jeffrey Tambor was kind of my end to the series. I, I mean, that was the only recognizable thing that I had. I, I'd seen Gabby Hoffman and a couple other things, but um, I watched Transparent because of him. And it was so fascinating. And that was a huge part of what drove me through the first season. And I think Mora's story is probably the least interesting to me of this season, but that might be because we didn't get enough of that, of those characters. And uh, Angelica Houston at the end, I think really made up for that. And I'm hoping that that becomes 
a bigger part of the next season. Yeah, I really enjoy any of those, basically any of those characters who call more out on her privilege. Um, and on the, the less, because it's easy, it would be easy to make more a saintly figure, but they don't do that. The writers very much don't do that. She's still controlling with her children. She's still like a lot of things. She's still a complicated person. Um, and I, I really, I really like that. Uh, but yeah, so that's part of why I enjoy you know, like this scene when Davina's helping her walk and she's like, oh, my hip hurts. It's like, yeah, suck it up. Again, having it, it's for it's all about those contradictions for me. So I think I think I was more invested in those. I absolutely agree about Sarah Landecker. She's I mean, really all the cast I think are giving tremendous performances. Um, it's it's I think this is one of those shows for me this season that I um, respect more than I'm emotionally invested in. And so I res- I mean, I love the the way it's shot is so is is just beautiful to look at, and the performances are all great. And where they bring Sarah over the course of the season is. Uh, I think really works and it's it's interesting to see that stuff that we saw introduced in the first season expanded to here but um but yeah I guess I, I don't know where I would have taken the time to give to to Morris friends but um yeah yeah maybe it's just again my own hang-ups with people making self-destructive decisions <laughs> and not realizing it or not caring so when we have josh complaining about these lost years with his son that he sent away and that now he's not even with Ra- uh, rabbi raquel so he could easily call up his son and invest himself in that relationship but he's not going to because he's too selfish yeah plus plus like we're absolutely supposed to be thinking you know you would have blown those years with their son anyway but you still feel the privilege of being able to to complain about it yeah, so I, I think that's really maybe all it is. I just, right now, this season, for whatever reason, I was having a harder time caring about the characters. But I don't want to rain on your parade because I know you love it. Did you have any favorite episodes or scenes or moments or performances we haven't talked about? Um, I think maybe the strongest episode as a whole was the music festival. Um, but like you said, I think how I'm going to remember this season, you know, a year from now, will be in those individual impactful scenes like the end of, of Meemaw and uh, things that we haven't mentioned yet. Oh my God, what's the the actor's name who, uh, Sarah's weed dealer? Oh, uh, Jason Manzoukas. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a great bit role. Um, hilarious. And I mean, there's a ton of really good, guest performances on the show i think and bradley whitford was a, a huge part of that in season one and he shows up again in season two um but no i think that that about covers it i i think absolutely give amy landecker a, an emmy for this because even if sarah's wasn't the most interesting uh plot out of all the main characters i i thought that how she was able to express all of that character's emotions at different points and they veer perhaps from like pole to pole even more drastically than anybody else in the season. I thought that it was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Really strong performance from her. And of course, such great work on the leftovers as well this season. Um, I'm glad that I know who she is now instead of her being like a person who pops up and I go, Oh yeah, she was good. I'm actively looking forward to whatever she's got coming up next, as well as a lot of, of this cast. When you talk about the music festival, the scene of, you know, a, you know, 
uh, Abby looking down and seeing the bells on her shoes and everything. So there's so many little touches like that that I appreciate in this season. Um, so yeah, maybe, I think maybe I just need to, the next time I've got like a free contemplative day, I can pop in a few of these again or, or pull them up on Amazon and uh, maybe having, maybe watching it again in a less hectic time of the year will will make it a, make a stronger impression. We'll see. But I think I know your answer. What wins your week in TV? Your week in comedy <laughs> and reality? Yeah, it's it's transparent. Yeah, and I'll give it to transparent as well because despite you know really liking the other words, the Nathan for you finale and everything, and not really loving all of Transparent as much as I did season one, I still really enjoyed this season. So I think it's more a statement on how much I adored season one less than maybe a statement on season two. But but that wraps up our week in comedy and reality. So now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. I don't want to feel down Cause my name is getting around I say the whole world is letting me down now Cause I don't know where I'm bound Yes, I guess I'm That was one of the songs featured in this week's episode of Fargo, which don't worry, we will be talking about. But before we get there uh, in this week in genre and drama, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Good Wife midseason finale, uh, KSR. Then we'll both dive in with Arrow, Dark Waters, and The Flash running to stand still before we wrap things up with Fargo, the castle, and uh, UFOs, and all of that good stuff. But first up, The Good Wife. I wasn't even going to mention The Good Wife, as I haven't been many weeks as while I've been watching it. And then they went and just like mic dropped, just like bombshell with Eli telling, uh, telling Alicia about deleting Will's voicemail. It was just like, I, I was sitting there watching it and I was like multitasking. I was doing something else and all, I just had to stop. And I was just like not even breathing because that, that scene was so intense and so fraught and so affecting. Um, and really what that goes to show is how much this show has fallen because you just mention Will. You mention anything having to do with Will and all of a sudden I'm so much more invested. Uh, and I would be even if they if they brought like Finn back, I would be more invested. Um, but where these characters are at right now is much less meaningful to me than where they were a season ago, two seasons ago. Um, and I don't even, it's not even like... They, you know, they will grant uh, Will Gardner's not there, so I don't care about the show. It's it's more I, what they've come up with the characters to do since then, um, and since Finn, and you know, in the last year and a half, basically, I don't care about. So I don't care about the young people versus old people conflict at the firm. I don't feel like I knew any of those people, and so having, uh, like that be a triumphant moment with the high five with Diane and Carrie, like I don't care about them and I don't care about you guys right now. So this is not a fist punch, you know, punch the air moment. This is really, you're bringing these guys back again. You can't come up with anything better for your, you know, for Diane Lockhart and Carrie Hagos to do. I mean, guys. Um, so yeah, I, and I 
there's no like they keep trying to give Eli love interests and they keep giving him love interests where there is no chemistry. There's like negative chemistry between the actors. So Vanessa Williams is great, but she and Eli as a romantic pairing completely unbelievable. It's like negative negative chemistry there. So I just don't care. I care about that Eli's sad. I don't care about them breaking up and um I don't know. It just how powerful and charged that last scene with Eli and Alicia was gives me hope that they can still achieve that, which I wasn't certain that they could, while also putting in stark relief how much the rest of the season has been a failure for me, at least compared to the heights that they used to reach on a regular level. So I hope that they can recapture some of that in the new season. I hope this sparks something and that we get, because the show's been on autopilot and it's just really disappointing for a show that once was in my top 10. Um, remind me, where are you at with, with Good Wife? Uh, everything that I've seen, I've really liked, but it's all bits and pieces. And it's it's like the big question mark of do I try and catch up on it before it ends or do I just wait to, to binge all of it once it's done? Yeah, I wouldn't say you need to, I mean, I wouldn't say you need to hurry to, to watch it. I mean, because this is, especially because this, this, sort of off off its game thing has been going on for like a season and a half now so they had some you know a strong but not great start and then it built to be one of the best shows on tv and the fifth season is amazing and uh parts of the sixth season are really good and then it just kind of it's yeah it's gone down a lot so i can't really tell you to rush on it but when you do eventually see it if you do it's i think you'll enjoy it because there's a lot of really great stuff there and a tremendous cast just they need to come up with how to better use them i think uh speaking of tremendous cast and how to use them arrow dark waters mid-season finale they you know how they could better use it's part of their cast to stop trying to pretend that they're going to kill felicity because they're not <laughs> and none of us think they are yeah no she's she's definitely going to be alive uh i you know this it's unfortunate. It's like the one blemish that I... Not the one blemish. The the biggest blemish that's been a part of this first uh, season 4A uh, is the reliance on that who's going to die thing because Arrow is historically awful at making meaningful deaths because it goes back on them or it, it does something else to make them less powerful. So I, I felt like these nine episodes have been a noticeable step up from last season, but I really wish that they'd be handling this better. And it's it's just kind of, it's not even narrative trickery. It's just laziness. Yeah, I I agree. And it, like, and they're going on doing interviews. Yeah, we don't even know who we're killing yet. I mean, come on, guys. I, I, however, I do agree it's a definite step up from, from last season, but that's... Again, more of a statement on last season, I think, <laughs> than on this season. God, how bad was season three? Oh, man. I just feel bad that I wasn't harsher on it because I wrote a couple of reviews of the last couple episodes uh, for the AV Club to fill in for their regular reviewer. And, you know, I, I hadn't been reviewing it actively week to week. I'd just been sort of watching it. So I gave it, like, I think a B- minus or something because... I was like, the worst of the show I really don't like, so it's not that bad. And now I just am like, no, Kate, that was like a C, a C minus at best. Oh, man, I should have been harder on that, but oh, well. Um, this, As for this mid-season finale, um, do you think that with Legends of Tomorrow coming on in January, that will help 
the back half of the season, they'll feel like less ob obligated to constantly be crossing over and developing other materials? Or do you think that the, that over-reliance on launching the new show, when those elements are gone, that it'll leave a vacuum? I certainly hope that it helps it. And I expect it to, I mm -hmm. think, at the end of the day. Uh, this has maybe been even more of a problem with Flash, although Flash does enough uh, other things much better than Arrow does so that it hasn't felt too bad. But yeah, it's it's clutter, and I know what they're trying to do, and I respect that. And hopefully once it's all said and done, everything's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but the fact that that was kind of absent in this finale was good. Um, so there was less clutter. I mean, this Dark Waters relies a lot on Damien Dark, which has, again, been a plus for this first part of the season because Neil McDonald's fantastic. And so, I don't know. This kind of had what I hope is the direction that the season goes in. I, I think I actually addressed this in a, like an arrow, just general response to this first part, is that, yeah, once Legends of Tomorrow is done, like this season really, to undo the the terribleness of last season, which was just a mishmash of everything, like it really needs to focus on, on this, on the Damien Dark plot. And that comes down to the fact that he is a challenge for both Oliver Queen and for the Green Arrow, in different ways, and it's really interesting that he is pretty much the only character who doesn't know Oliver's or the Green Arrow's identity. Um, he's a great villain, not just because it's a great performance, but because he's challenging. He's also like vulnerable because he gets distracted. So I just I want that focus to be there, and even the the flashback stuff is kind of moving in that direction as well because that's starting to talk about like the magical stuff that's going on in the universe. And that's the kind of energies that dark uses. So crossing my fingers here, hoping that it won't just blow up in everybody's faces. Oh yeah, that's right. There are flashbacks on this show. I seriously, I forget that they <laughs> exist because I don't care at all. I've never like, it was one of the things I cared about least when I saw the pilot and <laughs> it's only gone downhill since then. Um, but yeah, I like finding, you know, getting to see Dark's family, that he does have a family, and hopefully they'll explore some of that a bit more. I do really like that he doesn't know who, uh, that Oliver is a Green Arrow, and having Merlin step in, you know, put on the hood kind of is a nice way to confirm that, and having them share a frame with Dark, so Dark will assume that he's not, uh, I think also, you know, is a, is a nice way to... To, to to explain why he doesn't connect the dots um, as quickly as, as he should, given what we've seen about about him. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's, um, I think there's reason to be optimistic about the second half of the season. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, the, as long as it's fun, as long as they, you know, I mean, Neil McDonough is having a blast in the role. It seems uh, really, you know, camping things up like this show I think needs. So uh, I am optimistic, I guess. Fingers crossed. Maybe, you know, if they can just... It's, my only concern is that they were saddled with all this Legends of Tomorrow stuff, and I feel like this flash-forward to the gravesite thing has also burdened them with that. So when they're free of all the build-up stuff, they still have this looming, um, you know, potential dead person thing. Or unless it's all over... I mean, who knows? But... um yeah, I mostly that's just making me think of the the grave scene is mostly making me think of Barry and making me want to talk about the Flash. So, unless you have anything else with Arrow, let's talk about running to stand still, and all of the feels. 
Too hey. many feels. All of the feels. <laughs> the Flash is a really good show. Yeah, they nailed this mid-season finale, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's... The feels is just an absolutely correct way to describe what The Flash does. I mean, maybe sometimes it, it kind of relies too much on the dramatization of, of certain things, but any scene in which you get Barry and Joe, like, being father and son, and now they've introduced uh, Wally West, like, it's so good at nailing those moments, I think. And this mid-season finale, if we're calling it that, is, like, nails that as well. On top of also, like, propelling the plot forward in interesting ways. Yeah, they, they uh, you know, they've got all this other stuff going on with, uh, with Zoom and with, uh, you know, Harry and, and all of that. But for me, this just comes down to Joe giving Barry his watch and me crying. Like, and then the yeah. last scene. And, and, like, the stuff with, with Iris. I mean, all the, the interpersonal connections on this show. And that's down to Grant Gustin and uh, Jesse L. Martin's uh, chemistry and their, their, their excellent work together on the show. But, I mean, I think with everybody, that's really been tremendous like those those bonds i'm very very invested in those bonds and uh I, you know even just watching cisco just be like oh my god just kiss just kiss we all know that you want to <laughs> just kidding i mean I, I love the way they use cisco as an audience surrogate and uh this was no exception i mean i was just fully on board with this with this uh mid-season finale cisco is one of the best characters on tv right now as far as i'm concerned yeah he's pretty he's pretty fantastic do you uh how, how do you feel about um the stuff with Harry and Zoom, like, did they have you, like, reinvested? I don't know if, maybe you didn't get, maybe you didn't lose investment in Zoom or in uh, Dr. Wells. What do you think of that? Um, I really like the design of Zoom. I like his presence on the series and what that means. It's kind of a convenient and cheap way to introduce, like, weekly stuff. Uh, and... I guess the best thing I could say about his presence here is that it gives Harry, uh, I guess, a greater tie to Harrison Wells. And so I don't want to go down the route of reliving the same things because I care about Barry. But at the same time, that makes a lot of sense that they would do that. And I know whenever that gets addressed, it's going to be very difficult to watch. I liked having, I mean, yes, it's convenient, but I liked having um, Barry just express that he needs to move on. He can't keep holding on to his anger towards Dr. Wells. Um, and having that coincide with Harry betraying him, you know, like, or theoretically, we'll see what happens with it. But um, that sh that's very tidy, but I thought it was successful. And, and they have managed to get me much more invested in, in Harry than I should be because of this connection with the daughter, who we barely know. But I think that's, again, I think it's down to Tom Cavanaugh selling the crap out of out of what Harry's going through right now. Um, yeah, I think, again, it's one of those things where I'm watching it and I'm fully on board and I just have to think about it. I'm like, but really, we've only seen the daughter like twice. And But when, when uh, you know, she, she's ripped out of his arms again, the, the, the performance from Cavanaugh just killed me. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And speaking of selling the crap out of it, like I'll preface this by saying I really don't like the material that they've given Patty Spivet to work with. But I, I didn't attend drama school. I don't know the technicalities of acting, but I know when a good performance is in front of me. And Chantel Van Satten 
as Patty Spivitt this season has been absolutely tremendous on a performance level. And it's so shitty that the character is not given anything interesting to do. Absolutely agree. I mean, because I, I love her energy because she should be like annoying, basically, because she's stuck in the girlfriend who doesn't know role. Um, and she's not. She brings a very different feel to that character than for, than really any of the other characters on the show. Uh, you know, Caitlin is more bubbly and, you know, and and uh, high energy. And, uh, of course, Joe is super steady and kind of silly sometimes. And, yeah, having having Patty be so, like a little just like a couple steps in, off to the side um, tonally in that performance and in that the energy of that performer, I think adds a nice element to the show. I really it's like it's ridiculous that she doesn't know. I mean, it was ridiculous that Iris didn't know. At least they let Iris figure it out. Who knows what they're going to do with Patty. But if she's not going to know, if she's not going to um, uh, be able to be added to the team, which is what the show does best, uh, they got to come up with. I mean, I, I guess they gave her they gave her a backstory. They gave her, you know, stuff to work with in this episode. But I'd like for her to be getting better material. Ditto. Well, talking about good performances, though, I mean... I think you're gonna be hard pressed to come up with many that are more interesting and fun than what we get to see Kirsten Dunst do this week on Fargo, the castle. I mean her. Oh, and it's just a flying saucer. I can't, I can't do the accent. (laughs) It's just a flying saucer. I mean, (laughs) like one of the lines of the year and one of the deliveries of the year too. Yeah. She's turning in an all-star performance this season. I've been less invested in Fargo this season than pretty much everybody. I've talked about it on the podcast a bit, but um, it's definitely like this episode really helps, but I would be very surprised if it cracked my top 20. It recently, of course, topped the HitFix critics poll. Um, so it's very popular uh, amongst crit- critics. But this episode I was much, much more invested in. And I do not think it is a coincidence that this is the episode that turns the Patrick Wilson character into a very distinct underdog. Um, much in the vein of what we saw Alison Tolman's character, you know, Molly, dealing with in the first season. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that he we get a couple people for us to not like, get to not like, who are tell, bossing him around, and we know he's right, and we know he's good, and nobody's listening to him. I don't think it's a coincidence that all that is happening, and this is the episode I'm more invested in. It also helps that we get, you know, a lot more with Hansi as well, um, and more motivation for him instead of him just kind of being a... a uh, loose cannon or free agent. This episode was just on a different plane for me than pretty much the entire rest of the season. How, how, how about you? I, I think you're, I'm guessing you're more on board with the season than I am because most people are. Um, was this episode a leap up for you or was it a, a, a culmination? Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of relief in saying that I'm on board with you. That, uh, I like Fargo just not as much as other people do. Uh, it, this has still been a very strong season. And yeah, this this was, I think, a step up, but also a culmination. I, I, I mean, just seeing the massacre take place, that was just genuinely gripping television. Um, but you're right in that we got more out of certain characters who we needed to get more out of. And Hansi's been great for the past couple episodes. And to also have uh, Lou, I guess, really get to do things so much of the season has been like conflicts 
about to happen. And then this is kind of just a release of all of it. And, and so that's probably why it works so well. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely does. Um, did you have any problems with the Patrick Wilson character being absent for so much of the massacre, given that, you know, what he's seen is supposed to haunt him until the events of the first season? That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. And that makes sense in terms of something to nitpick. I guess just seeing Hank shot there and having to leave, not sure whether or not he's going to survive, would be haunting enough. Um, or even just the number of people who are dead, absolutely. Yeah, but that's still different. Walking into a place littered with bodies is much different from like being there when the guns go off and having to experience that from the beginning, which is a trauma just very different. So I, I think that's a fair point. But I, at the end of the day, probably that's going to haunt anybody who comes across it yeah it didn't bother me at all of course I, I, that's something again that you think about later uh that pops into your head later but um no i thought i thought uh you know having having this one i mean maybe it's also for me that it's totally distinct in having a narrator and they bring martin freeman back to do that which i thought was a fun little bit of casting um this one for I, Yes, it is a culmination, but it does still stand, stand separate. If I could point to maybe, again, if we're, if we're going to nitpick, um, which, to, to reiterate, this is a very good episode of TV. I don't know what else you could have done, but it was a little anticlimactic amid all the chaos just, just to see Floyd killed like that and that be the end of her arc because she's been such a strong presence this season. I guess for me, she hasn't been, <laughs> so... I, I I thought it was very fitting, actually, the way that she goes out, um, that anticlimax of it. But I, I do see what you're saying. Um, the the and and maybe because that character, I mean, I I never connected with that family the way I think I was supposed to. Didn't really care about any of them, so I didn't care when the niece, you know, or the granddaughter got killed last week and or two weeks ago. I didn't care about Dodd. I, I mean, I didn't care about any of those characters. Um, so I'm much more, I'm more invested in Hanzi than I am in any of them. Uh, so I guess, so that, that did work for me actually quite a bit. So it's interesting that difference uh, in, in opinion, but um, yeah, I, I do. Do you have any thoughts on the whole UFO thing? Um, I mean, not, not really. Like I'm, I'm really worried, I guess, about how that's going to be addressed and, potentially resolved in the finale but then again i don't i don't know how important that is in, in terms of uh like affecting my overall opinion about the season it's strange because you can kind of tell that we're both on the same page with fargo this season because there are probably other people who connect with to this a lot more and would want to unpack certain other things but i think at the end of the day like again this is just a great episode of tv and fun to watch and I guess that's kind of my reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at with it too. Um, the score I should mention that I loved, I thought it was really great and, uh, had a lot of fun with it. I also really liked, um, you know, just the way that the, the shots that they keep using on this show that I love, I, I love the shows embracing and, and, uh, absolute, uh, 
I guess love affair with the super overhead shot, you know, that it, which they've done in almost I, I want it feels like every episode has some like super high like helicopter shot going on and they're all great. Um so yeah, this episode looks really great. I I mean the UFO just like and there's the UFO and like I would be surprised if they mentioned it. For me, it's just like nope, done. It's probably not going to come up next week. Um that I, I I love that. Uh, I, I was as speculated early in the season. Um, what if there's aliens or se- secret government, whatever? Um, and it just doesn't come up with the first season because it's not relevant. <laughs> so, you know, theoretically, uh, the Patrick Wilson and Keith Carradine character knows that there's aliens. Uh, who knows if he told Molly? But it doesn't really apply to Lauren Malvo. So. You know, why would it come? I, I just kind of love that. <laughs> so I, I would actually prefer that it just goes without mention in the next episode. But I don't know if other people would be happy about that. But yeah, I agree. Because I, I don't have more to say about this other than I really liked it. And that feels strange to me. But I think that's where I'm going to leave our week in, in uh, drama. Uh, do you have... Uh, what what is For me, it's, it's like really close between The Flash... And Fargo for best uh, in the week in genre and and drama. Do you have a like? What, what's your pick? And maybe you'll push me to one side or the other. Uh, I think that the the Flash was just again another good episode of a good season. Fargo was probably the best episode of the season, so I, I guess I give it the edge. I'd say the Castle. Yeah, I think so too. I think as much as I like, I absolutely love that episode of, of the Flash. I do think I have to give it to to Fargo because, um, yeah. I'm gonna be laughing about that. That, that uh, it's just a flying saucer thing for for a long time. <laughs> Good, well done, Fargo. Tip of the hat. Uh, now we are going to take a break and come back with our DVD shelf on Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm so excited! We'll be right back after this. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Firebenders attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. Hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered a new avatar, an airbender named Aang. The problem is, this avatar is still a kid, and although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined once again this week by the fabulous Sean Coletti, and it, it's been a long time coming. Very excited uh, that that you pushed me back in your co-hosting days, Sean, to catch up with Korra and, of course, in conjunction, Avatar The Last Airbender, and uh, that now we're finally talking about it here at the DVD shelf. Avatar The Last Airbender is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best, uh, theoretically, children's shows of the past, I don't know, 20 years? I think it's absolutely tremendous and very overdue as a DVD DVD shelf, so I can't wait to talk about it with you. Yeah, if... Like, we, we think about the TV canon, and in terms of dramas, you know, you expect to hear the names, The Wire, The Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad, and Mad Men up at the top. Deadwood. I think Deadwood, yeah. Doesn't get enough love. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you apply that to animated series, like, undoubtedly, Avatar's there, along with, you know, Batman, The Simpsons, and Cowboy Bebop. So this is big game. Yeah, and what what introduced you to Avatar: The Last Airbender? I I had heard about it from like friends, like people online had sort of mentioned it, and some friends of friends and stuff were promoting it. But what 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 made you? What brought it to your attention? 
originally, my brother tried to get me to watch it, and I think I was just watching too much week-to-week stuff at the time to give it its due. And then The Legend of Korra started airing, and I didn't start Korra until its second season. Um, and I caught up on that. And I guess Korra was the one that finally got me to watch it at the end, because I wanted to to see where everything came from, because it was a very new universe to me. Okay, so you watched Korra and then Avatar. I watched Korra, and then Avatar, and then, and then I watched Korra. Korra again, and then I watched Avatar. Yeah. Because once is not enough with the show. And what I love about Avatar, aside, I mean, there's so much to love. But one of the, you know, the first couple things I think of are how refreshing it is to have a chosen one who is 12 and feels like it. As opposed to, usually the chosen ones, like, their magic abilities are are, uh, triggered by puberty so that we can have love triangles. Um, so I, I love that this is a show about a kid who feels like a kid and that, that affects the, the traditional chosen one narrative in a huge way. And the other thing that I immediately go to, um, aside from the fact that it's just really fun and really good is representation. Yay. (laughs) The fact that Katara is actually a strong female character. No, the fact that everybody on this show, like, um, as you might not uh, realize from watching the filmed adaptation of this, uh, the like every every society that they visit is people by very different groups of people, so that nobody is supposed to like look the same. There isn't like a traditional, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, I love that we have basically they never like specify make any one to one comparisons, but you have like. Asian societies and Inuit society and you've got like all sorts of different groups of people and there's some tension between the various like the Fire Nation or the Air Nomads or whatever but there's not really racism <laughs> in it in the way that uh and there's not just like the stereotyping and types of characters I love that they this is such a flesh fleshed out fully built world and that this is a show made for American TV this is an American show that has Asian leads. Everybody's Asian and or and or Inuit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's especially interesting. I don't know at what point in television history the anime like really took off. Um but obviously that had some effect on the creation of this universe and it was still done in a way where this felt attuned to American audiences as well. And you're right, the representation is, like, comprehensive. And it's not even just, you know, racial. It's it's gender, it's uh, economical, it's just about every aspect of this um, does more in those areas than you'd kind of expect it to. Well, even just something like, you know, having uh, Zuko and, and B start out as the antagonist and then be a hero, by the end, it's not like oh, all the Fire Nation are bad or anything like that. It's, it avoids simple, uh, simple. I guess it it avoids um, having one to one relationships with the various things. Sort of like when you know with Harry Potter, they could have done a better job of not making all the bad guys Slytherins, <laughs> you know that kind of a thing. Um, I like that 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 it really introduces a very straightforward world and then over the course of the series complicates it or, or adds nuance maybe without having it become convoluted. I really appreciate that. And uh, it also, I mean, 
And talk about strong female characters. Yes, I know that's a dirty word to some places because uh, people think of, oh, they're strong and they're nothing else. But the the, the women on this show and on, on Legend of Korra, of course, uh, it's it's successor series, sister series, um, are all very interesting. They're all individuals. They're all distinct. I love when Toph comes on the, on the, the scene and we just get, nope, this is a very different type of woman, young woman, <laughs> when than Katara. Katara just like expects her to to kind of be her counterpart and not be like the guys and then she's just joking around with them yeah. she's like yeah you should be a touchy-feely teacher and she's like that's ah, not me that's that's sweet that's not gonna happen because that's you know i can be me and you can be you and that's fine and it just the the all these it has all these wonderful lessons that you sort of expect from uh, or morals i guess that you expect from children's programming but it's it's not just it's just the show as far as i'm concerned just like Adventure Time is a show, and I, I get so frustrated with the um, very popular Western approach to animation is for kids. Um, that that happens every time I try to recommend like uh, Adventure Time or Steven Universe or Gravity Falls to people who they go, oh, it's, it's that cartoon, right? It's like, yes, it's an animated show, and it is not just for kids. It is for anyone who likes quality programming, and that's how I feel about Avatar. Yeah, Uh that's that's an especially interesting point of comparison between Avatar and Korra, but even so, I still think that Avatar is just a lot more than that, which is why it, it's found itself into the canon and why everybody loves it so much. There's an incredible depth of emotion and philosophy. Like You talk about ideas and... Aang in the final season having to open up the the nine chakras in his body to be able to access the avatar state all of those ideas surrounding that where certain emotions block certain parts of the body um, these kinds of things they go a long way in showing how the world of avatar is much more concerned with um, talking about what it means for these people to be living in this world rather than just kind of telling a fun story, which it absolutely is, but it's, it's very rich. Yeah. Well, that sense of, of fun and play, I think is so important because it's a very important to Aang as a character, but it's also important to the show because of that, you know, relationship between the, you know him as the, as the lead and having not, not losing that uh, sense of fun, despite the, you know, the high stakes, but especially by the end of the series, high stakes uh, drama going on around them, I think is crucial to what makes it such an enjoyable show and what keeps it so grounded. Because even when there's all of this really tense stuff happening and these really uh, painful things that these characters are experiencing, they never really lose the, their sense of self, that part of them that can, you know, hop on a, on a air scooter and, you know, and have a little fun sometimes. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's really important it's very easy for shows, especially uh, genre shows that have like this chosen one narrative and this, you know, end of the world kind of stakes to become self-serious. And this one never does. No. And again, another essential part of talking about this and, and core at, at once, but just for Avatar, I think that's the thing that really helps with the people who have an animation bias. And that's a totally okay thing. I when I started really delving into television in general, I think I retained that a bit as well. But because it's so fun and recognizably 
um, like a a typical animated series um, superficially, when it comes in and gut punches you, you're so surprised by that. And so I think that sense of fun and adventure really helps in convincing people um, what Avatar The Last Airbender is. Yeah. It's one that actually I have, I, I anticipate a little struggle getting people to invest in the show because like when they, if they just watch the pilot and they just watch the first few episodes because it really unfolds. So at the, it does feel more like just another kids program. Uh, you know, and I use that sounds derogatory. It's just like just another standard, I guess, animated series at the beginning. It takes a little, little while for it, like for the depth of Iroh's connection with uh, with Zuko to you know be, be made clear and and you know all these other things that that happen over the course of the show it it does take a little bit um to to kind of show its hand that they're interested in more than just an a fun lighthearted story uh but uh, but when it does it's incredibly satisfying uh shall we approach by season by character how do you want to do this uh, either of those ones work for me because you mentioned the name Iroh. Uh, I just have to take a moment to recognize how unbelievably powerful his character is and why, you know, if, if for me, and this might not be the case for other people, it might be a very easy decision, but if for me, if I'm trying to decide, uh, what, what would I like more for me, The Legend of Korra or Avatar The Last Airbender, if I ever say Avatar it's because Iroh pushes it in that favor because his relationship with Zuko, his relationship with the world around him, the history of Avatar, the last airbender, the fact that he was the last person before Zuko and, and Aang to learn about the origins of firebending. He is integral to everything. And I think that he's not only the best character in this universe. I think that he's one of my favorite characters in television history. He's really great, and, and I I love the way that he and the, they write him, and also the, in the performance uh, by Mako Iwamatsu and Greg Baldwin, um, they they let him be ridiculous, and they present him as sort of like the a clownish figure um, before showing his inner strength and his core, and I, I also because they take a while, they take their time before they introduce all the White Lotus stuff, and let you um, see that you know he's had a long game going <laughs> um to try to and to try to get Zuko where he needs to be his love for his nephew and his like his belief that he can sort of fix the damage done to his nephew by his family um is really beautiful the avatar is the bridge between the spirit world and the the real world and iros the bridge in this series between the, the protagonist and antagonist, at least in the sense that, that Zuko's an early antagonist who evolves, but an, an entry into the Fire Nation, I suppose. And he's able to navigate that so well because he is a proud person, Iroh is, and um, still holds ideals that a, a Fire Nation national would, but kind of in the sense that um, I, I would say that I like. I would I would call myself American proudly based on the ideals that the founding fathers established the country on. Like that's the kind of pride that Iroh has in his home, and he's not dogmatic. 
and he's willing to tell the crown prince off for following a destiny that he thinks is supposed to be his rather than the one that might actually be his. And he's very much a, a Gandalf figure for me in that he's the eccentric or, or I guess you could say Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, everybody have fun this weekend. Um, cause he's the eccentric old man, um, who, who just loves his tea. He just wants to sit around and eat noodles. Um, but that belies patience and that belies, um, uh, power and wisdom and all of that. I mean, it's, it's a very traditional like stock kind of character, but the way that, the, that he's used and the way that the depth that they give him does make him a lot more. So yeah, I can see, I can see him, him being a favorite character. I really love Toph. She's one of my favorites. Absolutely. Uh, just from the way that she shakes up the dynamic, I think it was essential when they get to the second season. Yeah, as they piece together Team Avatar and finally have like a full crew by the end of it, it's it's a lot of fun. And she, again, is just another character in the main cast who is great to kind of hang around with, but also offers Aang and, to a certain extent, other characters different challenges. And, again, talked about Iroh. She has a relationship with him before any of the other Team Avatar characters really do. So yeah, she's she's excellent. Yeah. Well, what do we? Uh, I feel like we're we're shirking our Water Tribe uh, love though, because because Katara and Zaga are really are also fantastic characters and, and so much fun. And they do a lot to um, to get to really focus the first season. I love the approach the season the series takes of we're gonna start you know with just water, just deal with that stuff in season one, and then just opening up a little bit more with Earth and then with Fire in the third season. It's a very smart approach to the show i don't do you know if the show um if they knew if they had like had a sense of we will get picked up for more seasons when it started like if they outlined their three season plan um the way that i understand it and i could be wrong here was that um certainly with cora di martino and and konietzko had Four books in mind. I think with Avatar, they got what they had planned out to do. I mean, it would make more sense to have four because of the four elements, but um, I'm I'm certain that they had more than just the first season in mind when they started. Which is the structure of it? Of we're going to start with you know two Water Tribe members find the Avatar. Um, and then and the way and the the climax at the North Pole, I think, is really effective. It's really great, and the way that that continues, it brings back the themes of balance and and everything that we uh, have come to expect on the show, or which becomes a, it's a through line of, of both series of Avatar and Korra. But um, I, I, I it, it works very well as as a culmination of everything, and then to to change it up and add in uh, uh, to, uh, Toph and add in Basingse. And then to bring it home with uh, Fire Nation and everything, it, it's just very well structured. It's very satisfyingly structured. It is. Uh, and each season, I think, has a different identity, and there are different things about them that are really enjoyable. I, I think for me, oh, I hate to use any kind of word that, that would denote anything less than great but the first season is probably the weakest I think and 
that has a lot to do with because it is building up to something. Um, I think like maybe the first ten or so episodes, they are fun, they're enjoyable. It's not until later that it gets that depth, and then uh, season two has a clear idea of what it's trying to do, and season three looks and feels very different because now they're in Fire Nation territory. So the structure works really well and it gives each season um, something unique to do that the other seasons don't, I think. Well, and it just, they spend their time in the first season getting you to know these characters and to be invested in them and to be, and building up this entire mythology. I mean, there's, there's a lot of episodes of the show which are people narrating stories to other people. <laughs> like There's a lot of passive tense, you know, which normally is not a good idea. But they managed to to make it work. But I think of you know the the flashbacks to the previous um to the previous avatars, the the Fire Nation um flashback where you find out that the the previous avatar and the grandfather of Zuko um, are both his uh like they're both his grandfathers like that that story like there's a lot of really great flashback episodes I guess for lack of a better word. And the reason that, that we are invested in them and care about them is because we care about how they, they affect the other you know, main characters and, and what the show is going to be as it moves forward. So they, they need to do some groundwork. And I think it's smart that they don't take on more than they can chew. Absolutely. The, the flashbacks typically as a device won't work the way that you want them to. They, they totally do with Avatar The Last Airbender. And actually it's, it's episode 12 from season one, The Storm, um, which I think is the first truly perfect episode of the series. Um, and it just completely relies on that. That's the episode where we get Aang going back and reliving his history with Monkey Atsu and how he ran away and how he feels about that now. At the same time, where we're actually getting... Uh, Zuko's backstory, Iroh's telling the the remaining people on, on the ship what had actually happened to him and why he acts the way he does, why he's so hell-bent on catching the Avatar. And that's an episode almost entirely in, in flashback, and it does leaks at propelling the that season and the rest of the series forward. I really like the way that this, that episode, and really throughout the series, they they build, they pay off their build-ups. So, like, they the reasons they give for Zuko being such a little shit are good ones. You know, when, when they go, Oh, but you need to understand caveat, caveat, caveat. And that happens at various times throughout the series. They pretty much all work. They, they all feel earned and they, uh, they do, you know, when they build to something, they pay it off, whether it's, it's a personality or character thing. Like we get with Zuko here. Um, in that episode, in the storm, or even just, you know, what, what comes, um, you know, the plot climax at the end of each season. Um, I really, I really enjoy that. You know, like the reveal of Toph is actually like super rich, you know, really works. And and these other things too, and it informs the character and it, um, it makes some other things click in that maybe felt like inconsistencies or things that were a little convenient before they, they pay off their buildups. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable how that works because it's not just season long arcs. There's also mini arcs along the way that do great things. Or there's ones that traverse seasons that aren't resolved within the space of a season. Um, the whole period in season two where Op is lost, you know, that's Op is not lost at the end of the season, 
but that feels like a very distinct time frame within season two and has its own emotions that it's dealing with, which are very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Because nothing bad is allowed to happen to Appa because Appa's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Like, yeah, that's probably the most difficult portion for me to rewatch just because of how integral he is to the group and how hard it is to watch Aang go through what he's going through. Yeah. Oh man, it's tough. And and, and again, credit to D. Bradley Baker, uh, who does the voice of Appa and is, you know, and the animation too, uh, is, is big with that. But what, I mean, yeah, that's, that is, that is tough. I, lo- I love the way that the show deals with, um, uh, being vegetarian and the fact that Ang is vegetarian and Sokka really isn't, <laughs> uh, at least initially, uh, because when you have one of your main characters is a bison and you have, uh, you know, that's that's kind of it's like, oh, we're, we don't eat you because you're our pet. But we would eat one, something that was just like you. Uh, I think that <laughs> it's good that they address that and they, they make that part of the characters and characterization. Yeah, the, the animals on the show. I mean, the creativity Momo behind too. it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And actually, like. Again, these would be avenues which you would almost certainly expect just to be mined for comedic value. And one of the most heartbreaking scenes in any episode, I think, um, is in Tales of Bossing Say, at the very, you're getting towards the end of the episode, you're like, cool, we've kind of seen every character's journey in Bossing Say today. Um, and then we get Momo, the tale of Momo, and you're like, oh shit, oh, we're gonna get Momo, this is gonna be a lot of fun. It ends with Momo crouched down sleeping in a print of Aqua's paw, and it's one of the saddest things you'll ever see. You're getting me dusty over here! <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about happier things, though. Uh, like, we've heard, like, like, we haven't talked really about Aang. Let's talk about Aang. I love his energy, and I love his, uh, his sense of fun. And I, and I love that he doesn't really lose that, even by the end. Um, by having a younger character, you can do different things than you would normally with a, a chosen one angsty character. And I think both Korra and Avatar do a great job of not making their main characters be too good. That they're absolutely flawed and maybe less noticeable on the surface level with Aang, but certainly not to a less extent, I think. Well, and they couldn't have another angsty one because they have Zuko, and he's got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Aang, you know, he's he's so naive as a character, and that's a big part of his character. Um, so much of the final conflict is him not wanting to believe, even in his past lives, that the only way to defeat the Fire Lord is to kill him. And... Aang's not that character, even though he is the Avatar. Uh, so he's very complex. He's It's weird that I would say he's not the most interesting character, but um, he's still one who can carry an episode by himself. Well, and I love that, unlike Buffy and unlike several other Chosen One narratives, um, he's not... He never really becomes preachy, and he never becomes boring. I feel like those so central chosen one figures often get kind of boring absolutely and 
um, let's see, what what prevents him from really being boring? It's it's a combination of having as much fun as he does. Like whenever he does his ridiculous jigs, it's it's stupid and it's laugh out loud funny. Uh, and when it comes time to to acknowledging the spirit world and his duties as the avatar, it doesn't shy away from really serious things. And he does both very well. Like more often than not, he's carefree. He's having fun. Um, but you can see, you know, for instance, how the devastation of the end of the first season really traumatized him uh, and how he doesn't want to be that destructive entity. Yeah, well, and he's... Um... He he feels the weight of his responsibility, but he doesn't. I think as part of it is that he just doesn't. He doesn't do speeches and he doesn't repeat himself, and that's something that I you know, in, in this show, like we talked about, never really becomes self serious. It becomes serious, it never becomes self serious, and that's an important distinction. It can be a tricky line to to tread, but I think having a separate character whose like job is to be angsty really does help with that in a big way. So I think having Zuko and Ang as these two uh, opposites, it, through, which they are through much of the show, they really balance each other out, you know, as as the central figures of their two parts of the show very efficiently and very effectively, I should say, um, in the first few seasons before, first couple seasons before um, Zuko's on Team Avatar. Um, I think that, that helps the show. It helps them get those feelings out there and have it be part of the show without having it, need to be their chosen one who does that. Yeah, Aang would not have accomplished anything without the rest of the people in this crew. He recognizes that. The show acknowledges it on many occasions. It's such a, an important part of the message that it's trying to, to send to viewers. Um, and it's part of a, a series-long arc as well. You know, you mentioned uh, Avatar Roku and and Grandpa Sozin to, in their episode. You know, they are portrayed as these characters who had a certain bond and it's something similar that we're supposed to be thinking about with uh, Aang and Zuko. And at the end of it, you know, our characters we've been following end up being the better version of that, the the true version of that. And Aang has those relationships, I think with other characters as well. And there are other ones separate from him that do that. I think Iroh and Zuko obviously is a culmination of three seasons, but uh, they, they handle that very well. Absolutely. Well, do you have any, we've been talking here for a while, we've used up our time without me even noticing it. Do you have any other uh, characters you want to mention or episodes or any final thoughts on Avatar The Last Air? Besides the fact that people should watch, I don't know if we've done enough selling. If you haven't seen Avatar The Last Airbender, you need to watch it because it's so good. Like, we haven't talked about the action. The action is super fun. Yeah, animation and how, like, the martial arts are depicted on this is incredible. It's like, so creative, and they're all distinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I guess we could talk about certain episodes because there are a lot of individual ones. I think that are just excellent, um, and there are also different kinds. Like you know how the X Files has you know mythology and monster of the week stuff. I think Avatar does similar things where there are not time sinks, but like either you know town of the week that has conflict that needs addressing or something like that and some of them don't work at all i think episodes like the great divide or the cave of two lovers um even ember island players which is very near the end of the series like i don't i actually don't like these episodes but some of them that are one-offs i think do fantastic jobs with character work i think the painted lady is one of those um and there are others like that 
Yeah, I, I I like the um, I like the Kyoshi Warriors. Is that is that the um one of the ones you mentioned? I know that that's when they're first introduced. It's like a case of the week kind of situation. I like when they come back too, of course, especially um, especially Suki, um, in the third season. Um, yeah, the 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 way that the show explores its world, um, I think really works very well and. I have trouble. I mean, maybe it's because I I kind of jumped around when in my viewing for for this to prepare for this. I I didn't want to start a rewatch and then not get to the second, like the third season or, or like to, to certain parts of it. So I kind of just jumped around. So in my head right now, I'm feeling very much arcs as opposed to um uh the the individual episodes aside from the ones we've already mentioned. But um yeah, the sweep of the show really is what I'm left with. That's when yeah. I think about the show, I think about its scope and its long form narrative, but I still think it's satisfying in a short form. Totally. Uh, basis as well. Yeah. Individual episodes that aren't necessarily unrelated to the plot. I think also stand out. Zuko alone, of course, is absolutely one of the best episodes of the series. Um, so much so that they had to do a Korra alone. Uh, <laughs> and, but yeah, it is, it's the scope. It's, the grandiosity, the the four part finale is ridiculous, especially the last two entries where it's just all out, nothing left on the table. Uh, Zuko and Katara versus Azula and Aang versus um, Fire Lord, uh, Fire Lord Ozai, yeah, and and obviously the rest of Team Avatar taking down a fucking fleet of uh, airships. <laughs> so it's. It, it builds itself up to that point and it earns every minute of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great show and it's one that I, I took forever to watch. And I thank you very much for pushing me to, cause I wasn't going to, I wanted to watch Avatar before Korra and I needed to watch Korra. So then I have to watch Avatar. So th- I thank you, Sean, for pushing me to watch it back when I initially did and for coming on this week to, to help me talk about it here at the podcast. Oh, and the other thing I'll mention because I didn't want to forget is I do also really like the music and the sound design of the show. I love the different sound that they give to the different parts of the world and the instrumentation of that, which again goes back to my representation point. That is such an important part of the the show for me that it doesn't sound like other series either. I want to mention one last very weird thing, but it's something that I I strongly believe. Uh, I don't know if you got to this specific one on the rewatch. There's an episode in season three, um, the beach um this is just team fire nation just having a a one-off vacation kind of thing that -hmm. episode is 100 percent uh beach house from girls oh totally is in season three yeah absolutely Like, like note for note those are mirrored things and i'm i'm totally convinced that lena dunham saw that and, and just did that episode in her tv show <laughs> when they're like sitting around the fire and uh, zuko's like anxiously staring off to the sky you know like or yeah. looking out over the ocean totally yeah that, that's and i love and again it's it's just such a different kind of thing it's not what you expect from your chosen one needs to save the world narrative to be like okay well let's go hang out with the former bad guy Maybe he's a bad guy again because he's hanging out with the bad people, but, you know, he loves, he's trying to get back in with his family and he's not sure how he feels. And we'll just have, like, again, we talked about this with Flash, let's just have an episode of feels for Zuko. <laughs> and and, and it's like, it's a party episode. Like, when the guy comes over and he's hidden on Azula and she's like, no. You know, it's fun. And just on a, on a very in-depth technical note there, that, that episode is written by Katie Matilla, who... Um, also wrote the tale of Zuko in Tales of Bossing Say, 
Uh, she had a hand in another episode. It's interesting because she only did two episodes in Korra by herself, um, both of which were just ridiculously good, Korra alone. And then, without spoiling anything, the episode in season three that deals with uh, the Baythongs and, and their history. Mm-hmm. But uh, shout-outs to, to her for being one of the best writers, despite not getting very many episodes. Well, yeah, the... Um... Yeah, those are those are that's a pretty good resume right there to have. <laughs> like, if those are going to be the episodes that that you've done, those are pretty excellent choices. And we've only shouted out a, fo- uh, a few of the cast members, but I do think the voice work across the board is really good and really oh consistent. Oh my god, Mako! Yeah, I it's it's so hard thinking about that, and, and obviously he's a huge part of why I like Samurai Jack so much. But uh, Iroh's tale and tales of Bossing City, I think, did just a wonderful job of um, acknowledging the. The presence that he had on the show absolutely well that, that will wrap up our dvd shelf this week unless you have any final thoughts um i don't know do you mean do we even want to nitpick with it and address things that it doesn't necessarily do great i if you want to go for it i mean i i like avatar a lot and even with the shows that i like the most there are things that they could have done better i think one thing um that ultimately fell just a little bit flat was that Azula never, for me, became a character beyond the the two-dimensional great villain that she is. And she is that. And it's a lot of fun. And it's still a great fight at the end there. And that's not to say that there wasn't some work done with how jealous that she is of uh, the love that her mother gave to Zuko and how she thought that that wasn't hers as well. But for me, it was kind of just too little too late where we got her right from the beginning of season two and there was a lot of time to work that angle and it it wasn't enough by the end of it. And it kind of extends a little bit to the Fire Nation in general. I mean, I know Zuko and Iroh are, are fantastic representatives of that and really give depth where it's needed. But at times it felt like the the tertiary characters there were like weirdly villainous in ways that they didn't need to be. Like that the nation would dis, um, disallow, like, dance being taught in schools or that in, in the Painted Lady episode uh, that they would, like, purposely build um, this this rig that would pollute one of their towns as if they didn't care for their own people. So at, at times it, it felt two-dimensional where it could have been better, and I guess that's where I would nitpick. Yeah, fair enough, and I, and I think that is an important thing to remember that show even the best shows even the shows that we like would hold up as the best of their genre or of any genre no show is perfect every show has something or some other thing that probably could be different or better uh but uh that is to be expected in in such a collaborative medium and in such a challenging medium you're not gonna if you if you're expecting a show to have no things that can get better then you're just going to be disappointed every time so yeah i I, I mean, Azula is just basically a force as far as I'm concerned. I think I think giving her the friends, giving her May and Ty Lee, I think really does help a lot in, in rounding her out. Um, and I think the choice to have her just basically be crazy by the end, just be, you know, to have lost her her grip on her sanity, um, I think works. And I think is sort of necessary for them to have the ending that they wanted to have where it, there isn't just like we all sat down at a table and we worked it out guys. We worked it out. Um, if the person on the other side is reasonable, I don't know if, if they can have a big climactic battle. Um, 
So I, that would be my guess as to why they go that way with the character. But um, I do think that they... Yeah, there there's some some holes in the world building with the with the Fire Nation, um, especially the relationship with the people of the Fire Nation and well, how do the people of the Fire Nation feel about all this stuff? But in general, I do think that that there's a lot of care and craft put into the world building, um, and for the most part, I do think it works. So, I guess and maybe it just doesn't bother me as much as you because I I've only done a partial rewatch. I've not done a full thing, so it's not as fresh. Also, Mark Hamill should be the voice actor for every villain ever. Yeah, because he's amazing. <laughs> he, for those listening, uh, who, anyone who's listening who doesn't know that Mark Hamill is the voice of the Joker in Batman the Animated Series needs to watch Batman the Animated Series and pay attention to the credits. Uh, but he also hears the, the voice of the Fire Lord Ozai. Uh, so yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, that will wrap up our DVD shelf this week, talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. It's been a lot of season spotlights recently, so I'm super glad that we got to dive in with this show. And hopefully, at least one or two of our listeners will uh, will check out the show uh, hearing what we said um i hope they didn't get too spoiled but i don't really you know they should have stopped if they were worried about getting spoiled <laughs> but if you haven't if you're still listening and you haven't checked it out please do check out avatar the last airbender and then come online and drop us a line let us know what you thought about it sean where can our listeners find you and your work online uh catch me on twitter just at my name at sean s-e-a-n coletti c-o-l-l-e-t-t-i uh and then written work for tv stuff um, should begin appearing again soon at tvovermind.com and popoptic.com. And you can find me on Twitter at the Televerse. You can find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would, of course, love uh, hearing from you there. Ratings and reviews do help people find the show. You can find us on Facebook um, and leave a comment there to start the conversation. You can email the Televerse at gmail.com. And you can go to theteleverse.org. Right now, there's not much there. So. Uh, I mean, you can go and be like, ooh, look, there's a new logo, but that's about it. <laughs> I totally forgot to mention also, uh, of course, that I co-host a podcast with Randy Dankovich called The Mid-Season Replacements, which is currently available on Pop Optic. And just to get updates about that and where we're going to be moving to soon, um, just follow either of us on Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, seeing what you guys come up with next. Um, but yes, and of course, you can also find some of my writing over at the AV Club. Um, <laughs> Heroes will be back in January, and so will I. I'll be back with more Heroes reviews when that happens. But uh, for now, that will wrap up uh, this episode. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming back. I'm, I could not have a better final guest co-host, at least for the time being. Um, so I'm so glad that you were able to come on. Oh, thank you for having me. And we'll, uh, we'll do the same thing with Cora eventually. Eventually, yes. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you.